Welcome back to the Successful Diligence Podcast. I wanted to make sure that you were aware of how valuable you are to us and me here at Successful Diligence as a listener of the podcast. It means so much that you allow me to provide value through the podcast and that you listen and you show up and you invest your time. It means the world to me and I so appreciate it. One way that you can show your appreciation for the podcast, if you've gotten any value from anything we've ever said um, in Sode, is you can support us financially so that we can continue to provide the value that you've come to know from the Successful Diligence podcast. And it can be literally less than a cup of coffee a day, 99 cents per month. That's less than a dollar per month, all the way up to five, ten dollars, however much you want to give. But as little as a dollar, less than a dollar, 99 cents, that would make such a difference to us. You can go to the show notes and you can click the link where listener support is highlighted. Um, There's different links in the show notes. Or you can go to anchor.fm backslash successful diligence backslash support and you can sign up there and literally it's one time per month 99 cents less than a cup of coffee and yet you would be having an impact on supporting this podcast to bring more value reach more people to have a greater impact in the world and we appreciate in advance any support that you're able to provide again anchor.fm slash successful diligence slash support or you can click the link in the show notes and show your support financially we appreciate it and we thank you in advance Welcome back to the Successful Diligence podcast I am so grateful you are back for another episode As always, I really honor your time. I know that it is a choice to listen to the podcast, and I am so grateful that you tune in, and I always endeavor to bring you amazing content and people, and today is no exception. You know how moms have this great cuddly connection with their little girls? They're all cute and sweet and spice, and then all of a sudden, almost out of nowhere, that relationship turns negative, different. Moms stay up all night worrying. There's all of these extra things that come along with having girls. My guest today is a mom herself. Her name is Deborah Ann Davis, and she is an award-winning author, and she guides moms as they navigate their relationships with their darling daughters into successful adulthood. (laughs) As a middle school, high school teacher for three decades, Deborah has helped countless families eliminate the pain that is typical of the teen teenage years. And instead, she helps foster positive and healthy relationships despite all that adolescence brings. Today, she puts that expertise to work as a parenting skills coach. So needed in today's world. I tell you, with all the homeschooling moms out there, I know you are in just in, in inclining your ear to hear all of the wisdom that Deborah's going to bring today. Deborah Ann is a speaker, a coach, an educator, and a producer of her own remarkable daughter, 
and she has helped bridge the emotional gap in countless mom versus tween teen daughter conflicts. She is armed with a sense of humor, as well as a BS in education, an MED from Emory University, and she is a sought after speaker whose books, How to Keep Your Daughter from Slamming the Door and How to Get Your Happy On are both now available, and I encourage you to go pick them up. I'll put the links in the show notes. Deborah, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. Well, thank you for having me. This is wonderful. It's going to be such a great and fun conversation. I just know it. So for my listeners who are not so familiar with your work, who you are and what you do, just give us a little bit of background beyond the bio about who you are and how you came to do the work that you do. I originally started this work when I didn't know I was actually starting the work. I had a couple of students come to me because they wanted to use my room as their locker. They were being stalked by an abusive boyfriend. Oh, wow. And apparently for one of the girls, it had been a continuous situation with different boys since the seventh grade. And these two girls were, weren't even old enough to drive yet. They were sophomores. So I told them they could use my room for the locker, but the, as long as they kept the drama away from my classroom. And the, um, ex in exchange, they had to come and stay with me one day a week after school, and we were going to discuss relationships. So I used a lot of the techniques I had used in parent-teacher conferences to get parents and kids talking when they were banging heads, because usually by the time I saw them, there was a problem going on. So I created these techniques and I had to do it in a way where the kids wouldn't feel judged or chastised or embarrassed. So I made these little games and activities for them to do. And at the end, they had a little cheat sheet they had made of their most important characteristics in a guy and things that were important to them. And it wasn't, their, their list didn't match because it was their thing specifically. We had pared away all the media and all the friends advice and all that and just found the core of what they wanted. So you fast forward five years and I ran into one of them and she had laminated the little paper and kept it in her wallet. And then she introduced me to a girlfriend and said, show her, show her yours, show her yours. This is that teacher I was telling you about. So her friend took out a paper that she had laminated, kept in her wallet, that was also her most important must-haves in a guy. And she, the, my girl said, I've been single for almost two years. And this other young lady said, I've been single for almost six months. And they were so proud of <laughs> having found themselves and enjoying themselves. And my girl says, well, you know, we're still dating. A girl has to stay busy. <laughs> as long as you're happy and you understand how important you are. So yeah. oh, I love that. That led to me starting a workbook for girls because they told me I needed to put this into a book. But at the time, I wasn't a writer. And when I eventually became a writer, because I was a career science teacher, hmm. I started working on that workbook and then I switched it over to writing to the moms instead of to the girls. Because I thought, who is going to go out there looking for help? The girls aren't going to go to a, a store and find a self-help book for them. But right. moms will go out there and say, how do I make my relationship better with my daughter? Yeah. So that's how How to Keep Your Daughter from Slamming the Door came about. And the 
um, workbook that I had originally started is what I'm going to start working on again this coming winter. That is that is incredible. And you know what I love about that is that you were teaching, like you were doing what you set out to do in life and, you know, you chose that career and you, you're teaching, but yet, and I always say this listeners, you'll, you, you, there's themes. I, I feel like that come up all the time about purpose that purpose reveals itself to you in such interesting ways. And these girls tapped into your heart, right? They pulled you in, (laughs) but yet through them, there was another dimension of purpose that you have inside of you that was unlocked and two books and your practice and all of the things came after that. And you paid attention to it and kept walking into it, which I absolutely love. So was it like an intentional conscious, oh, I'm going to pivot and sort of go into this you know, work now, or was it just sort of something that evolved sort of slowly as you just kept doing what was in front of you? My mind was going, well, mm, uh, when you were saying that, <laughs> so I think what it is, is that there's a, like this continuum where an abrupt pivots on one end and a, a gradual shifting over is an, on the other end. So I'm sort of in the middle of that. Originally, I had to stop teaching because I got Lyme disease and that completely knocked me over. I, it affected my heart. I was down to 37 beats a minute and I had a cardiologist and I was like in my early forties. Oh, wow. My cardiologist told me that when the Lyme disease was cured, then they would put in a pacemaker and I was like, whoa, oh, isn't that for like elderly people? You know, <laughs> right. So, and then the other thing affected was my brain. I mean, there were other things. I had all the aches and pains that went with it, but I had an incredible brain fog. I could not even watch like a 30-minute TV show because I couldn't follow the plot. Wow. But I could listen to songs because they're like three to five minutes long. So I'd lie around doing nothing during the time when my daughter was at school because I was Miss Perky when she got home. It was the only time I could handle it. You know, I wanted her to not be scared. And... Um, I would lie on the couch bored and then listening to these songs and making up stories in my head. And then eventually as I got stronger, I started jotting a few of them down. And then I started writing the story. And when I got better and I could go back to teaching, I thought I'm gonna keep writing because it was fun. And I would write during the summers because anybody who's a teacher knows that when you're teaching, that's the only thing you can do. <laughs> you can't do something else. So anyway, all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, after a couple of years, I realized I had two manuscripts. I was writing, I didn't know this at the time, but I was writing humorous suspense, which is not a genre. And it was YA because um, it was for teens in, you know, young college to older high school kids. Yeah. And I thought, I've got two books here. I'm going to try writing. So that was somewhat of an abrupt pivot. I left teaching at a point where I really loved teaching because I knew I wanted to go out on a high note Mm. and then missed it promptly. (laughs) And then I went into trying to write. So I published these two novels, Fairly Certain and Fairly Safe, and um, did not know anything about marketing or anything like that. So then I had to figure out how to let people know that these two books existed. Right. And then right in that period of time was when I um, 
I thought, I'm going to go back to those two girls. I'm going to start writing. And then I ended up um, holding a retreat for moms and teenage daughters because it gave me a classroom again where I could have the energy of having people around me because, you know, I was in school since I was four. And now I hadn't been in school or around hundreds of people. It was just me, my husband, my computer. And as entertaining as my husband is, <laughs> he can't equate, equate to a room of, you know, 20 plus teenagers who are excited and anxious and, and vulnerable and, and yeah. learning and that whole energy that's there. So yeah, very different energy <laughs> gave me that kind of situation again. And I ended up taking the materials I prepared for that retreat and putting it into the book, How to Keep Your Daughter from Slamming the Door. So I love that. Yeah. Is that abrupt? Is that a pivot? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it sort of seems more like an, an evolvement almost. But but there's a th there's a thread that you never left, which is the teaching. You're still teaching. Yes. It's just in a different way. It's just in a different um, arena. And mm -hmm. so I actually love that because you know I have found with my own life that you can do what you do and you can be who you are in very different arenas and environments and situations and you don't lose that you just serve in a different way which i absolutely love exactly. i want to go back if it's okay with you to talk a little bit more about the lime because um i've I actually had a guest who was going to come on and talk about living with Lyme disease and more of like a chronic condition and we never could coordinate the, uh, the interview. So I wanted to bring this out because I know that there are so many people nowadays that are living with chronic conditions that impact their energy and their functioning. And especially with COVID and the pandemic and things are just, you know, 2020, that's going to be like the new phrase. How is life? Oh, it's 2020, you know, <laughs> and we all know what that means. What was that like when you had to save up your energy for your daughter? So you, you mentioned being on the couch while she was at school and, you know, sort of saving up the energy so you could give the best of you to her when she got home. And it's not an easy thing to keep going. And you were able to then continue to give the world gifts and books and, and, and all of these amazing things. How did you do that? How did you learn to thrive with this chronic condition that you had? was an, an interesting time in my life because um, I had it for a little while before I got it diagnosed. And I live in Connecticut, which is, you know, Lyme capital. Yeah. And they, I had a really hard time getting a doctor to do a Lyme test on me. They were all saying, oh, no, no, you know. And I finally got somebody to do it. And the, the reason why I did was because I was at uh, my daughter's basketball practice. And I was supposed to bring her friend home with me. We were carpooling and I forgot her friend. And that is so not me. I am the person who waits until every child is in a car. I never leave a child behind. Yeah. And that's when I said, this, there's something seriously wrong. And I got pushy and I said, I want the Lyme test. And sure enough, there it was. Wow. So it also happened to coincide with a period of time when we were moving. We hmm. were leaving Stanford, Connecticut and moving to Glastonbury, Connecticut. And we were moving right at the end of the school year because I wanted my daughter to meet people over the summer. So when she started school in the fall, she would have some acquaintances. Yeah. And my husband couldn't come back with us because he had to finish on this job that he was working on. So 
in everybody's mind, we were going to be going back and forth on the weekends to visit him. So keep him company. And that never happened because I got my diagnosis of Lyme and I understood why I was having these pains down the center of my back and why I had no energy and, it all and sense. on and on. And um, so my daughter and I moved up. We, I had to stop house hunting, which is what I was in the middle of doing. And we just got ourselves an apartment and moved in there. And I try to get her ready for school and make everything calm. So I wasn't sharing what was going on with me because I didn't want the people around me distressed. So my husband was down in Stanford going, why aren't you guys visiting? And I'm like, oh, I'm just, I just have so many things I have to do right now. And so we weren't going down to visit. Wow. And um, I would get up in the morning and be energetic and then she'd leave and I'd collapse on the couch and I'd rest for five hours. And then she'd come home and I'd perk up and she'd go up to her room to do homework. And I would collapse again until I heard her coming down. And it was just like this big farce. Hmm. How old is she? I, what, pardon me? How old was she at the time? Um, she was just starting her, well, she just finished her sophomore year and she was getting ready to do her junior year. So okay. I was on antibiotics basically from June to September. Mm. It was a long bout and I was seeing a cardiologist and, you know, I mean, it was a very big mess, but I had a biology background from teaching science <laughs> and I knew that movement and exercise would boost my immune system. Mm. And I just happened to meet this woman at a farm stand and she's moving around boxes with vegetables and stuff like that. And we got to talking about Lyme disease and she said, yeah, I, I have Lyme disease. And they said, oh, well, you're over it now, right? She goes, no, this is just a good day. On a bad day, I'm on the couch. Wow. And that was the first time I had understood that it was, it could be a chronic situation. I didn't know that. So come September when I had met this woman, I said, I got to go to the gym. It doesn't matter that I can't go up a flight of stairs to the bedroom, that I have to sit in the middle step and, and catch my breath before I go all the way up. I have to go to the gym. So I went, I became proactive. I, I went to the gym and I, um, that's actually where I found the cardiologist at that point because I, I hired a trainer. And what I would do is I would turn on the treadmill on the lowest speed and I'd get on it and I'd walk for about 30 seconds and I'd go and sit down and rest and then get up and walk on it for 30 seconds and go sit down and rest. And so the trainer was giving me really simple body weight, not, out, you know, not dumbbells, body weight movements and exercises to do just to get my muscles back. And when um, he did a, one of the fitness tests on me to see uh, how quickly I recover, from a, a cardio thing, my heart rate after the exercise was lower than when I started. And he said, you have to go see a doctor. I can't work with you. That's, you know, we did it twice. The same thing happened. He said, your body's not functioning right. You need, to. that's when I went and found the cardiologist. Oh wow! So I, I was scared in the middle of all this, but I still kept going to the gym. I just, when he would come around, I'd hide. <laughs> because I knew he would chase me out. The cardiologist wouldn't give me clearance to work out. And so I knew I had to keep moving. Yeah. I was gentle about it. And I, and I attribute that to keeping my immune system at least a little bit healthy while, the, while my body's being decimated by antibiotics. Yeah. 
So when my daughter started school and I started getting better and I couldn't return to teaching that year. And then I was, I pretty much was doing a pretty good job keeping things away from my husband who wasn't living with me at the time because he was at this job site and my daughter who was living with me. But one day my mother and my sister came over and they said, we want to have an intervention with you. And really? I said, why? And they said, well, we think you're depressed. <laughs> and I said, what makes you think I'm depressed? And they said, well, Deborah, you're not washing. <laughs> I said, well, there's a reason why I'm not washing, because now that the weather's gotten colder, when I take a shower, I'm cold because my hair is wet. And they said, well, you can blow it dry. And I said, I start crying. I'm not strong enough to hold the hair dryer up. Oh, my goodness. And that was the first time I had shared with anybody about what I was going through. But yet they and had seen something because they did the intervention. So they sort of knew something was going on. Exactly. You know, as, as much as we tried to hide things, the people that love us, they will tune in. So... Yes. And my daughter didn't tune in because she was starting a new school. So, you know, her mind was elsewhere. Oh, yeah. And at that age as well, because, you know, sophomore, junior in high school, your your focus is your friend group, your grades, college, your future, all of the things. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Wow. I just want to add one more thing to this this story. Yeah. I um, got Lyme disease again about five years later. Oh, my goodness. But in the interim, I had learned, I I finally started researching Lyme disease and learned about chronic Lyme and all this other stuff. But I had learned that um, there was a way for you to get rid of Lyme disease without using antibiotics. Hmm. So when I got it the second time, I said, I'm not going to use antibiotics. And I went to a naturopath who I thought would support me in that, right? Yeah. And the first time I'd gone to a naturopath and she said, no, no, you need antibiotics. And I said, I'm not doing that. So you can, you can either help me with this or, cause I had this whole protocol I found online called Cowper's, C-O-W-P-E-R apostrophe S, Cowper's protocol. And I said, I'm going to do that, you know, with or without you. She goes, all right, all right, do it with me. So she <laughs> researched it and she tailored it to what she thought my needs were. And that's what we did. But in exchange for that, I had to go on a strict nutritional diet Mm. and I can tell you exactly what I was allowed to eat. I could have fish, not shellfish. I could have fowl. I could have filtered water, olive oil, garlic, carrots, green beans, and rice. And that's it. That's it. No tea, wow. no coffee, no vinegar, no the sugar. No, oh my goodness. No, no artificial sweeteners. No, um, uh, nothing. No red meat. Oh, and I could not have bottled water. Interesting. Absolutely not. Because I just, sorry, I have this thing for demonstration purposes. Yeah. You hear how that makes the noise? Yeah. That's the bottle, yeah. Well, every time that happens, the plastic is leaching into the water. And then your body has to go about the business of getting that chemical out of it. So the purpose of this nutritional tact I had to take was so that my body did not have to fight my food. Mm. There were no additives, no preservatives, no food dyes. And I wasn't allowed to buy anything that had more than three ingredients in it. Wow. That was pre-made. And I ate that way for six months 
and got rid of the Lyme completely. Wow. Got rid of the brain fog, got rid of the um, stiffness I had in my joints prior to that, got rid of um, my hair thinning, my nails got stronger, my skin got wonderful. I mean, it was really wonderful. But then when I got my clean bill of health, I ate crap for like a month. <laughs> and then I got really sick. My colon actually twisted. Oh my goodness. And the doctors don't know why that happens. They never know why it happens. There was a teacher at my school who said, yeah, you know, if you were a horse, we'd have to put you down. <gasps> oh my goodness. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a horse. Right. And then I, I said, okay, I got to go back to eating that way. So I learned about elimination diets and that's when you don't eat something for three weeks and then you have three doses of it in one day and you see, you take a week and see if you have any kind of reaction to it. Yeah. So that's how I learned that I have to go gluten-free. I need to stay away from GMOs and um, I need to not get foods that have more than three ingredients in them. You know what is phenomenal about that? There's a couple things that strike me about that. Um, number one, good for you for advocating for yourself because a lot of people take what the doctor says as like the law and doctors are people too. And the, the, the arena of medicine is always evolving and we're learning. And I love the fact that you listen to your body because our bodies will tell us what it needs and what it doesn't like. And phenomenal that when you listen to your body and you take, you don't, I love what you said, your body didn't have to fight what you were putting inside of it. That is incredible. And it worked and your body was able to heal itself because our bodies are just incredible. I mean, you, you know, you know, biology better than I do, but I mean, what incredible machines our bodies are and how intricately put together they are. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. Um, but so I love that you listened to your body, that you advocated for yourself and you were able to heal in a way that didn't, add additional stress with the antibiotics and, you know, having to have your body fight additional, you know, modern medicine things. I love that. Absolutely love that. And, and I'm so happy that you're healthy. You look great. <laughs> if you're watching in the school, you can see, you know, you would never know that she has anything chronic going on at all. Um, well, I don't anymore. And, and if I may, I, I had, I got the line the third time. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> but this time, this was a, like another five years later, and this time I had a tick. The other two times I never saw the tick. Interesting. So my husband took the tick off of me, and I contacted the doctor, and I said, you know, I got this tick. Let's get into it. He goes, nope, you're going to go get blood work done right now. That's your baseline data, and then we'll take blood work in a couple of months to see if you're growing anything, right? Mm. So when I got my baseline data, I was completely clean. Really? So you know I didn't have anything left over from doing that protocol that I had done the years before. Right. And then um, three, two, yeah, two or three months later, I had two out of five panels. I don't know what that means. That's like blood work speak, but um, <laughs> she said, we're going to start the protocol right now. So I never had the symptoms or anything like that, but I had to go back to the strict way of eating. And, um, and uh -huh. I've pretty much stayed that way since then. Um, I now eat all organic and I'll say this for families. Right now, it's just me and my husband. So going all organic is not that expensive. Mm. But if you've got a family, organic foods are more expensive than non-organic foods. So yeah. this is what I would suggest. Just switch over 10% of your budget to organic. And then you'll be giving your family 10% more healthy foods than before. 
Exactly. And, and I think there's a list somewhere about, there's a list somewhere about which foods are better to have organic that are like more effective if you get the organic. And then other, there's a list of foods where it's okay if they're not organic, it's not as bad as that first list where it's like primary. In general, the ones that are not so bad are the ones that have appeal because mm. you're taking off that stuff. The okay. ones that you should really should get organic or any root vegetables because they grow in the dirt where the stuff is. So like carrots, onions, potatoes, those root vegetables should be organic. And then things that, um, that don't have peels like grapes and apples and stuff, you definitely need to wash those thoroughly with soap and water if you're going to get them non-organic. So if you're not gonna get organic, take your 10% organic and do it with the root vegetables because there's nothing you can do. Washing those off doesn't help, that goes right in it. But for the fruits, you can wash those with soap and water and then give them a good rinsing and those should be all right. And then I wouldn't spend your, if you're working on a budget, I wouldn't spend your budget getting organic bananas or organic oranges or things like that because you can take the peel off. That makes course, a lot of organic sense. is better, but yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's that's actually really helpful. So you are now also the lime warrior in my mind, <laughs> and I'm wondering. You mentioned that your husband took the tick off of you the third time. When did you tell him about the first or second time, or did you? Oh, he knew the um, first time. He knew I had Lyme disease, but that was way back, and so. It, there wasn't that much information about it. That's why I couldn't get doctors to give me a test, mm. right? There's like, there wasn't that much information. And, and I knew more about my disease from hearing other people's struggles later. Like I had a, a woman who, um, whose son couldn't retain anything when he was at college. Hmm. And then they found out afterwards that it was Lyme disease. And she, she and everybody else was saying, oh, it's because you're partying, because you're drinking. And he's going, I'm not doing that at all. But no one's <laughs> going to believe their kid right. at college, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, he had Lyme disease. And that's when I understood when I forgot that child that that was the Lyme disease. I didn't know that that was part of the Lyme disease. I actually went to the doctor to get a, to see if there was a precursor test for Alzheimer's. Oh my goodness. That's why I'd gone to the doctor, not for Lyme. That is sort of scary though. I mean, just, you know, even thinking about the possibility of having that. I mean, my goodness. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Wow. But my husband knows all the other things. Yeah. He, he was right there with me. So that is incredible. And plus, plus when I'm eating clean, he's eating clean. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're making the meals, you know, you get what you put in front of you. I, right. I love that. Um, wow. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I think that's really helpful for people, especially like you said, Lyme is so often misdiagnosed or missed and, you know, it's not something that people talk about a lot. Um, so I love that. Tell me a little bit about, you know, as you're walking this journey out of coming out of the fog <laughs> of, of this condition, what was it like personally? Did you feel like there was a part of you you were losing? Did you feel like you were always yourself and you were able to maintain it? You were just sort of fighting against it. Like, what was that like in terms of your personal journey going through that? Okay, so let me give you a different story so I can describe it better. Okay. I, when I was 19, um, I was in a car ride in the backwoods in Massachusetts with this guy. And 
we were hit head on by a drunk driver. Oh, wow. And when I woke up in the car, I had broken my nose, my thumb, and my knees. I mean, my, my knees, my legs. And I had no idea that anything was wrong. My body had gone into shock. Hmm. So in this weirdness, it didn't occur to me to wonder why I thought it was raining inside the car or to wonder why um, it was dark when it was supposed to be light. I had tunnel vision or to wonder why there was this voice coming from up there someplace going, everything's going to be okay. Right. And never occurred to me to wonder why it was, I guess it was like a dreamlike state when you're in a dream, you don't wonder why you're, these things are going on. Right. Yeah. You just accept it. Yeah. That's right. So I didn't wonder what was going on with me with the Lyme disease. Hmm. I didn't, I'm just, I, I didn't, before it was diagnosed, I didn't wonder why. The only thing I wondered about was why was I having this pain going down the middle of my back on either side of my spine? Hmm. That was the only thing I kept wondering about. And how do I fix that? And was it from working out? Was it from not working out enough? You know, but the rest of it, the confusion and stuff, I wasn't wondering about it. Interesting. I know that sounds odd, but. Well, no, I mean, it's fascinating. I, I, I think it speaks to just you as a person, because we're all different, right? And we all handle, you know, stimuli different, experiences different, you know, we all experience the world and our journeys differently. So it's always interesting to me when someone has a different experience than like I would, you know, um, it's like, wow, that's interesting. And it's sort of also kind of makes sense about why you would just keep walking and then be an advocate for yourself. And, and if you're not questioning why, you're just like, well, let's just get through this and let's get, you know, let's get better rather than focusing on what's going on. It gives you a different sort of energy towards healing as well, because if you're not focused on why is this happening, what's going on, it's a different energy than, well, let's find a solution. Let's figure this out. Let's get better. It's a different energy towards healing which is very key and profound, I think, because when people are intentional about being healthy and intentional about their choices of where their perspective is going to go, it does change the energy and the actions that you take. So I, that is something that I just took out from your story that is very, very helpful. So thank you. <laughs> that was an insight. I just thought that like, wow, you know, you can be intentional about focusing on where you're going and not necessarily the why of what's happening because it matters sometimes but really the outcome in the future matters more because that's where you're going that's where you're heading so I if i were that. going to do it again the thing that i would change is i would have brought my husband my husband back in more mm. I was into this, I got to protect him and not make him worry about me because he has that thing he has to take care of down there. And so I was trying to protect him and I was trying to protect my daughter. Yeah. I probably would still keep it away from her because she was a kid and kids get scared and take on responsibilities that they're not supposed to be taking on. Yeah. Um, but I, I would have brought my husband in more into what was going on with me if I was going to do it again. And, and I'm saying that because so many moms don't bring in support. They say, I got to do it myself. I don't want to worry others. I don't want them to be concerned. 
I don't want to mess up their day. And so they internalize everything and they don't go out there and say, I'm struggling. I need some help. Who here can help me? Yeah. Which is really what we should do. It is what I was doing when I hired the personal trainer at the gym. I need some help. Right. But I, I should have reached out to my already established support group. My, my friends, I didn't tell any of my friends. Yeah. You know, I, um, so that's what I would have done. And I would like to encourage all moms with whatever you're dealing with right now, don't go it alone. Go find somebody to support you. And you can either find somebody you know or find an organization that supports. If you're living with a, a family member who has some type of crisis or chronic situation, then go find a support group with other people going through the same thing and get their strength to help bolster you. Don't You don't have to do it by yourself. Yeah. You can get some help. I love that. I think it's beyond moms too. I think it's women in general. We we take that on just as as a default. We're caretakers. We're you yes. know we're nurturers. So even I'm if you're okay. not a mom, okay. right? Everything's fine. Everything's fine. There's no fire. What do you mean the house is burning? We're we're good. <laughs> <laughs> but um, listeners, you know, if you're not a mom and you are a, a, a woman or even a, a man who has that tendency do you know deborah's right you don't have to go at it alone there are resources out there so reach out because you don't have to be the lone warrior you know unless you choose to um but you don't have to so you know self-care is you know taking care of yourself by asking for help and sometimes that's what you need um and it, it's a positive thing it's not a negative thing i want to shift a little bit deborah just because we're, we're getting to the end of our time and i don't want to miss out on your whole parenting coaching you know practice and getting into that you know when did that start and how did that evolve into you know you said you, you were writing and when we got that story about how you left the teaching but how did you get into becoming a parenting skills coach and talk to me about that well the ironic thing is that i always have been and it didn't have a name before. The parenting skills coach is a new name. So I was like, oh, that's what I do. I you know, that. because when I would see parents when I was teaching, they were already upset. Mm. They had the, their, their child there and their child was messing up or had either done something behaviorally or something academically. And they were at their wits end and we were in there to solve a problem. But they came in full steam ahead, emotional blast. And the kid was in a defensive situation. They'd be angry or embarrassed because now the three of us are talking about something they've been trying to hide. You have no idea how many kids try to hide their report card when it's inevitable that the parents are going to see it. Right. But in the kid's mind, it's, it's most important to postpone that that disappointed look in their parents' eyes as long as possible. I mean, yeah, there's a whole bunch of them who are worried about punishment, but the first thing is that disappointment and the failure feeling, you know? Yeah. So yeah. the kids were all about hiding and protecting their, their core, and the parents were all about, what is going on? <laughs> so I had to be able to get them to talk together. Mm. and. Yes, I, I, I brought a few parents to tears and I'd have kids going, oh, being so embarrassed. And I would say, do you know why your mom is crying? 
your mom's crying because she's afraid she's screwing up your life. And the mother would go, that's right. <laughs> and the kids would go, what? Because they had no idea that their parents are experiencing something. Yeah, yeah. They just think of them as a disciplinarian and they only see it from the child's, the child only sees it from the child's point of view. Right. So I would put them together. I would get them to communicate. I would give them a little strategy to work on that was minor and schedule another thing to come back where we could talk about how that worked and build another strategy. So I was always coaching them because it, it wasn't therapy because therapy is a whole different animal. Coaching is when you, you say, what is it you want to work on? What do you want to achieve? That's going to be your goal. Here are some steps that will help you reach that goal. And now you're going to go do that. And then you're going to tell me what happened. Then you're going to go do that. And you're going to tell me what happened. That's what coaching is. It's to help you get from point A to point B. It's not about exploring what you did as a child. And right, I mean, that stuff comes up or whatever, but that's not what it's about. It's about saying, what thing do you want to change? This is how we're going to change it. And this is what you have to do. And right. I'm going to check up on you to see that you're doing that. So not the why, but where we're going. <laughs> right. Because the why shakes out of it on its own. Mm. Right? When, when, your parent, when the parent is saying, okay, I'm going to try this new approach with my kid. And then they go try it and you say, well, did it work or didn't it work? And did you have anything like that happen to you when you were a kid? Mm. How did you react? You know, and then there's this whole thing that um, you see on my website and in my books, it's all about checking out what kind of personality type you have because your personality type or even more basic, your learning style yes. dictates how you take in information, how you process the information, how you give information. Yeah. And if you have a different style than the people closest to you, then you give gifts and, and, and favors and stuff that they don't get, they don't appreciate, they don't understand. But if you know what it is that they appreciate and they would cherish and what they understand, then you know how to approach them in a way that matters to them. And then the and whole dynamic changes, the whole experience of, then the whole dynamic changes and the whole experience exactly. of the relationship changes. I love that. I love that. So what are like your top three to five or actually for time-wise one to three like strategies to curate a healthy, positive relationship with a teenager who is emotionally all over the place <laughs> just because of the developmental stage, right? How do you curate a healthy relationship with your tween or teen um, during those years? Like what are, what are some strategies that people can use? Number one, Tell them that you're going to switch it up because if you switch things up and you don't tell them, they're going to think you're a crazy person because you're not acting the way you usually act and be transparent with it. Say, I don't like the way things are going. I think I can do better by you. I don't like the way I feel when we're fighting. And so I'm going to go find ways to make this better. So tell them. And then say, I have found something I'm going to try. We're going to try it next time we get in a fight and we're going to see how this works. And then afterwards, we'll talk about it and, and, and explore it. So say, I'm going to change things. I remember when I was a young teacher, I'd come in and these are my rules and my discipline. And, and I'd say, this is what it's going to be. And then you get different personalities in each classroom. Like each classroom has its own personality. 
And the ones before lunch are different personalities than the ones after lunch. And the one, the first period of class day, first period of the day is different than the last period of the day. You can't have the same rules for all of them. So I was like, oh, I can't change the rules. I told them this is what I'm gonna do. I, I, they're gonna think I don't know what I'm doing, you know. But a wise person said to me, no, you just tell them, I don't like the way this is working, I'm gonna change it. So I'd go in, I'd say, I don't like the way this is working, I'm gonna change it. The class would go, oh, okay. Well, it keeps so, the trust factor, you know, when you let them know it keeps that trust factor rather than just yeah. surprising them. So that, that makes yeah. sense. So that's my first tip. My second tip is I'm a big proponent of looking at learning styles. Mm. And if you go to my website, I have the um, Georgia's Department of Education's learning style on there. You can actually download it and take it. So you take it and your, your daughter takes it or your husband takes it, whoever. You each take it, right? And you do it for yourself. But then you go back and you take it again. And the second time you pretend you're the other person. Interesting. So the daughter would pretend she's the mom, the mom would pretend she's the daughter, and you see how well you know them. Hmm. And then after you do that, then you share your information. So when I take my test first, I don't tell them what I came out to be, right? In general, parents know what their kids are. <laughs> but in general, the kids, only think the parents are whatever the kid is. So if they happen to be the same thing, the kid gets it right. If they don't happen to be the same thing, whatever the kid is, they think the parent is that too. And that's why when the parent acts in their own sphere, the kid gets blindsided by it. Why are they mad about that? Why did they get upset about that? Why are they asking me that? Why, you know? So I would go take there are tons and tons and tons of personality tests online. Don't pay for one. Go find a free one. <laughs> and um, I like the one by um, Dr. Smalley, S-M-A-L-L-E-Y. Hmm. Um, that's a good one. And, but the, um, learning, the um, learning styles, the one I use for Georgia only has three learning styles. And they've been changed and changed and changed. And you can find learning style inventories that have like 16 different kinds of hair splitters, right? So just go for the basic one. It's the purpose of it is to open up a conversation between you and your kids or yeah. you and your spouse. I love that. That's fascinating. That is fascinating. So as we prepare to sort of end our conversation, what is it that you really want the audience to walk away from our conversation with knowing what are like the, the, the main things that you really want to highlight um, for our, our time today? Wow, we've covered so much stuff. Um, <laughs> we are ever evolving. We are always growing. So be prepared for change. Whatever worked for you five years ago may not be appropriate for the person you are right now. And whatever worked for you last year may not be appropriate for who you are now. And that goes despite the pandemic. So the thing is, everyone's talking about, oh, we have a new, waiting for you to see what the new normal is going to be. The new normal is change. And we were already changing. So if we embrace the fact that this is the change of our lives, then things will be a lot easier. Instead of saying, I'm waiting things for things to settle and be um, consistent, that's only going to keep you distressed. We always have change in our lives. We have change when we graduate high school, when we start college, when we start a new job, when we go for an interview, when we move, 
we have these changes built into our lives anyway. So we adapt because we're expecting the change. We weren't expecting this change that we're in right now with the pandemic, but we know it's here. So now we have to expect the change. They were going to change when the states open and when the states, states close and when they open and when they close, that's going to change. They're going to change the way they do school. All the schools have started in one form or fashion. That's going to change or it might not. But the point is, if you say, well, I'm going to do this for right now. And when the change comes along, I'm going to roll with it. You'll be healthier, healthier and happier and you'll be calmer and the people around you will be calmer. But that's my, even though we didn't really talk about this, everything I've discussed has been about changes in my life. And if you are trying to say, if I was saying, I'm supposed to be a teacher and I'm supposed to be teaching, I'm not supposed to be on my couch, instead of saying, well, this is a change, how do I deal with it? What do I do with it? Then that keeps you moving forward in a strong way. I love that. Oh, I just love that. Deborah, that is perfect. Mic drop. Perfection. <laughs> if people are like, yes, Deborah, I, I'm, I need more. I want to learn more. I want to go take this, this, you know, learning style test. How can they find you? Where can they find you? And listeners, I'll put all of the links in the show notes so that you don't have to write anything down. You can just click and go or copy and paste and go. But for those that are more auditory, Deborah, where can they find you? How can they connect with you? Where can they find your books? The, the books are everywhere. So you can just, um, you can get them on my website. You can get them at Amazon. You can get them at Barnes and Noble. You, they're everywhere. So you can just go get them. Um, the, but if you want one signed by me, go to my website. And my website is DeborahAnnDavis.com. That's D-E-B-O-R-A-H and Davis.com. And I have, um, I'm on social media, but for those of you who are moms, I have a mom group. It's called the Mom Meetup, Raising Confident Girls. And for those of you who are not moms, I have one called Life Advice 101. So please, you're welcome to join us. And I expect you, if you come there, that you contribute your expertise because you are an expert in your life and where you've been and what things have happened to you. So share that. Oh, and of course, you can email me at info at DeborahAnnDavis.com. I love that. And you're so right. We are all experts in our own lives and experiences. So I love that you mentioned that. Deborah, thank you so much for coming on and share. You're right. We covered a lot of topics and you shared so much wisdom in each area of what we talked about. And I'm so grateful that we were able to get you on and schedule it. You have such a wealth of knowledge in so many different areas. So I'm so grateful that you were able to share with my audience. Thank you so much for coming on. You're so welcome. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It has been such a great conversation. I learned a lot. I'm actually going to rewind and listen <laughs> um, again because you, there was wisdom nuggets in each segment that we talked about that are just so profoundly effective in such a simple, practical way. So I just love that. And listeners, as I always say, keep walking. Always, always keep walking because if you continue to walk, you will reach your destiny. You will reach your destination. You don't have to know why. Just get up each day and keep walking. And on the journey, always, always choose gratitude.